0: Uh, this recent, or this month, we've been having a series on the church on its knees. And we've considered several things. We've talked about, Graham in the first week talked about that. When we're on our knees, we're going to experience God's presence in a way that we won't do um, other than on our knees in, you know, through prayer. And then after that, we talked about God's power and how when we're on our knees, we, we experience God's power. We also then go on to experience um, what was next after God's power, God's purpose and that was Adam last week and what a great message that was as we understood that, um, that all of our life is part of God's purpose, not just bits and pieces and so that was a great message and then today I'm talking about that when we're on our knees, when the church gets on its knees that God's promise is received. And he has made promises for us and if we want to receive those promises then he's saying there's some certain things that we should do. Tonight Steve is going to speak about when the church is on its knees we get breakthrough and so that will sort of bring this series to a close. We've been talking about prayer now for many many months and uh, prayer is so important and that will sort of bring our focus on prayer as far as our um, preaching is concerned uh, to a conclusion as we move on to love in action in the coming month. But uh, it doesn't mean we stop praying because we stop talking about it. And so let me just pray as I ask God uh, to speak through this word this morning. Dear God, our Father, we come to you and we know that when we, when we kneel, whether it be figuratively, figuratively or literally before you, that we are in your presence. We open ourselves to your power and receive your purpose for us and your promise. And I pray, God, that today as we open your word, Holy Spirit, that you will anoint it. It will go forth in in power to each one of us as we need. That we would be listening to what you have to say to us today, Lord. I pray in your precious name. Amen. When a, a child is little, we might say to them, maybe when they're like, you know, in their toddlers. We might say to them, if you eat your vegetables, then I will give you some ice cream. Uh, we might say to teenagers, if you tidy your room, then I will take you over to your friend's house before they get their license, that is. And I think that in our lives, we have these sort of arrangements we make. We say, if you, know, you do this, then I will do that. And it's sort of I guess a negotiation sort of thing. There's some conditional statements that we make and then as a result of those conditions being fulfilled, then we we will do our part. We will do what we say that we will do. And it's interesting that this if-then statements that happen so much, it's amazing once you sort of draw your attention to it, how much they happen. If you do this, then I will do that. Um, Actually, God uses this if-then statement in the Bible, and I want to look at that today. And it's from 2 Chronicles 7.14. And he used this conditional statement of if-then to make a promise to us. And if we want to receive this promise, then we will need to do our part. So let's have a look at this. It's from 2 Chronicles 7.14. And it says, If my people who are called by my name... Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, the context for which God spoke these words was um, at the time when Solomon, King Solomon, was the leader of Israel and they had just built the temple in Jerusalem. And this prayer was prayed following the dedication of the temple. And Solomon was praying and as he prayed he realised that Israel, knowing what Israel was like, knowing what the nation was like, he realised that Israel may not always stay true to God as they should. And so he sort of thought, I better pray about this for the future. So he's sort of saying, God, if Israel doesn't stay true and knowing what they're like, they may well not and they'll end up suffering the consequences of their sin. So he says, if in those times they humble themselves and pray and seek you and repent, will you hear them? Will you forgive them? Will you heal their land? And God comes to Solomon In the night, and he says, You know, if they do this, then I will. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive them. I will heal their land. Now, he's not setting these conditions as a means of sort of bartering with them. It's not that sort of negotiation he's talking about. He's simply stating this to the people that if you want to put yourself in a place of blessing, If you want to receive from me the things that I have, then here's how you can do that. Here's what you can do to position yourself to receive my promise. Now, who is he talking to? He says, if my people who are called by my name, my people who are called by my name. So literally that means the Israelites, Abraham's descendants. But as history has played out, God reveals a broader definition of that in Galatians 3.29. He says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So God's people who are called by his name are anyone who bears his name, the name of Christ. And if you are a Christian, Christ in you you bear the name of Christ. And so it, is, it was to the Israelites and now it is to you and to me that if we want this promise in our lives, in our nation, then we need to look at the conditions that, that God has set so that we can place ourselves in that position of blessing. Do you want that? Do you? Great. So here it goes. So it says, the next part says, if my people who are called by my name, the first thing he says will humble themselves. Now, when God talks about us humbling ourselves, he's not trying to control us. He's not trying to manipulate us or control us. What he's saying is that if you really trust me, In other words, you realize that you can't do it by yourself, that you don't have all that it takes, that you have not got the provision that's needed for your life. If we trust God, that means that we are taking, we are letting go of the controls and looking to him and trusting him and not trying to sort it out ourselves. That's what humbling ourselves means. It doesn't mean that I've got it all, I can do it, but rather saying, actually, I can't. And I recognise that God is great, that he is bigger than me, that he has my best in his heart and that he will help to work it all out. And it's humbling ourselves to trust him in that. Most of the time, when we don't humble ourselves, we're basically saying we don't want to trust God. It's just simple as that. We're saying, I've got this, I can figure out better than you can, leave it to me. But humbling ourselves is saying the opposite to that. And I guess the best example of this is Jesus. And he said and this is the and it says in the word and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Some people think humility is weakness. But when we see the example of Jesus, humility is strength. Humility is actually removing all pride from our lives and trusting in him. It's saying that we're not going to try and promote ourselves, what we do, but we're going to make sure that what we do brings glory to God. What humility is, it's actually turning the attention away from ourselves and pointing it to God. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't do that to draw attention to himself. He sacrificed, he humbled himself so that God's love could be seen, so that we could really see God in action. You see, when you humble yourself, there is no room for self-interest. You know, I am. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I am and there's no one besides me. Where we become center stage and it's all about us and what we want. Humbling ourselves is actually all about God and what he wants and allowing ourselves to be obedient to him and trusting him. It no longer becomes about us. And so that's the first thing that God says, if you will humble yourself. The second thing he says, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We've been talking a lot about this over recent weeks about praying. But let me tell you, this is so imperative that we do not forget to pray. You know, many people believe that the future of our culture is in the hands of governments. But I would question that. I believe that the future of our culture is in the hands of Christians because the cause of our culture's demise is essentially spiritual. And if a problem is spiritual then its cure must be spiritual as well. And if we Christians are going to help turn our nation around and see people turn to God we must get on our knees before God and pray. We mustn't just talk about praying like you know saying how good it is to pray we actually need to pray. We mustn't just agree about how important it is to pray. We must pray. We mustn't just preach about the power of prayer. We need to actually pray. And we need to get on our knees for our nation at this time more than ever before. We need to be on our knees praying for our country, praying for our city, praying for our communities. As Billy Graham once said, to get our nation on its feet, we must get on our knees. Prayer is an earthly request for heavenly intervention. It's recognising that we need God. That's what humbling ourselves is. Recognising that we need God. And it's this tool and strategy that we have been given in order to pull something down out of the invisible into the visible. That's what prayer is. It's taking what we can't see from God and bringing it into the visible. And it's that kind of prayer that will reclaim lives, families, and a nation for God. And it must take high priority in our schedules. It has to be at the top. I don't know if you know Nehemiah. Nehemiah is from the Old Testament. And he was a man who heard about his city, his country, being in devastation. And when he heard about this, we read about it in Nehemiah 1 4. His response to these bad news, this bad news about his country, about what had happened, the terrible state that Jerusalem was in, this was his response. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's first response was to mourn and to pray. When he heard about these conditions in Jerusalem. And in the face of his nation's downward spiral, he didn't sit down and write a great strategy for Jerusalem. He didn't figure out a new deal for Jerusalem. He fasted and prayed and sought God. And as he did so, God revealed the plan. God showed him what he was going to do, and he reversed the years, the years and years of deterioration. He reversed those in 52 days. You see, prayer doesn't just bring change. It saves time. So let's get on our knees and pray. So we know that God moved in response to Nehemiah's prayer, and he allowed him to use his position of influence with the king, Taxerxes, to get the king's support to rebuild Jerusalem. That was sort of unheard of. But through prayer, God moved the heart of the king and allowed him to help Nehemiah and even provided resources to help Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem. But it wasn't that Nehemiah started with his position. He didn't think, I'm in this sort of good relationship with the king. I think I could use that. Let's see what I can do to sort of manipulate the king, to get him on my side so that he might do something. He didn't start with that. He just started with prayer and God worked that all out. And that's what we need to do. We need to start with prayer. And then God will make the way for us. He will open the doors. We don't have to figure it out. You see, when we look at, I was looking at some Australian statistics And I think our nation's in a desperate state. In any one year, around one million Australian adults have depression and over two million have anxiety. One in five children live in a single-parent home, over eight deaths by suicide daily, divorce rate of 43%. Up to 15 people die and more than 430 people are admitted to hospital every day in Australia due to alcohol-related illness. Fifteen a day. One abortion every five minutes, five murders every week, 12 kidnappings every week, one assault every five minutes, two sexual assaults every hour, 105,000 people homeless every night. These are off the Bureau of Statistics. This is the state of Australia. This is the state we live. This is the nation we live in. That makes my heart sad to hear that. But that's not enough. Sadness is not enough. It needs us to, to get on our knees to pray for a nation that's lost its way and pray that God could be you know, brought back to this nation. You know, we were once a Christian nation that followed Christ. We're not that anymore. And to get back on our feet, we need to pray. Then God goes on to say... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And third thing, seek my face. When we look at a person's face, it tells us a lot about them, doesn't it? We can see if they're happy. We can see if they're tired. We can see if they're sad or angry. A person's face tells us a lot about what is going on inside of them. It's like an open window to who they are, to their heart. And to seek God's face is to enter into his heart. When God asks us to seek his face, he wants us to enter into his thoughts and what he is thinking about things, about what he is doing and why he's doing it. He wants us to see how he feels about things. He wants us to see the love that he has for us. And he wants us to see the pain that our sin causes him. You know, often we go to God and seek his hand. We ask for his hand to help, to protect, to heal, to restore. And there's no problem with that. God wants us to do that. He actually tells us to do that. He says, you have not because you don't ask. So he's not saying that we shouldn't seek his hand, but it's not all we should seek. We should seek his face. We should spend time seeking his face So that we know his love for us, so that we know his compassion, his grace, his affection, even his pain. That's why he asks us to see his face, because he wants us to see his heart. And when you see his heart, it's easier to trust him. And finally, he says... Seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. In his book, I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes about a commonly held misunderstanding. He says that we can add Christ to our lives. This is a misunderstanding people have, that we can add Christ to our lives, but not subtract sin. It's a change in belief without a change in behavior. It is revival without reformation, without repentance. In other words, there are many people who profess to belong to God, but who are in the same distant state from him as the Israelites were at times. They say they are are people who follow God, but they don't follow his ways. They are far from God, chasing after other gods, reveling in sin and reaping the tragic consequences of turning away from God. In fact, I'm sure that at times we've all found ourselves in that place. While faith in Christ is the only answer for cleansing and forgiveness, we must not think that it is faith without repentance. God in his love says, come to me, seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. It's actually about a matter of direction. God knows we're not going to be perfect. He knows that we're going to make mistakes and and he understands that. He loves us anyway, but it's about our direction, the direction that we are headed in. We can't run away from God and run to God at the same time. It's impossible. We can't turn to sin and turn to God at the same time. It's impossible. Turning to God means turning away from sin because we cannot go in two directions. And so, God is not saying, Come to me and be perfect, and then I'll love you. He's not saying that. He's saying, Just turn in the other direction. Just turn around. Change the direction you're going in. And yes, you make mistakes, but just keep coming towards me, and I will keep loving you, and I will keep forgiving you because He loves us. He loves us more than we can imagine. And when you read the Bible, you see about people who did terrible things, and yet he said they were people after his own heart. Because it's actually about the direction, it's about the motive of your heart, it's about where you want to go. And so he says, turn around, go in the opposite direction, Let that sin direction, this is the direction to follow me. So if we humble ourselves, if we pray and seek his face and turn towards him, then he says, this is what he will do. He will hear from heaven. That means that he will hear you. He will listen from heaven to what you are saying, to what you are asking. He is listening to you. And that's an incredible thing that in the midst of all of this world and all the goings on, he is hearing your voice. He is getting, you have his attention because he promises us that he will. And then he says he will forgive our sins. The word forgive here means to lift a burden. Now sin can become a burden. It's a weight around us. And as time goes on, it gets weightier. And you know, all God wants to do is to say, to bring it to him. He doesn't want to punish us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to love us and lift that burden from us so that we can be free of that, so that we can live in freedom, so that we can live lightly in our lives because he wants us to do that. He says, your burden is light. He will take it from us. He loves us. And so he says, I will forgive you. Every time you come to me, I will forgive you. That's his promise. And then he says, I will heal your land. Our land needs healing. We need him. And he says he will if we humble ourselves, if we pray, if we seek his face, if we turn from sin to him. And so the brokenness that we see in our land, the things that we see that are sad, and it's not just the brokenness emotionally, but it's physically. Our land is dry. It needs rain. We need God to, to pour out his blessing of rain upon this country right now. We need healing. We need the soaking rain of heaven upon us. And he said he will do that. That's his promise to us. If we will do what, our part. And so he will heal our land spiritually. He will heal our land Physically. If we are willing to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. The challenge is, are we willing? Because he is. I'd ask the host to bring around the challenges for this week. And it's very simple. It's just taking this verse that we've been looking at. And uh, realising God, God will keep his promise. If we do our part and to read it through every day and to say to God, help me to do my part and to be willing to be humble and seek and to pray and seek his face and to turn towards him every day. And so I ask you to take this and every day to read this verse and to ask for God to help us to be able to do those things. I'm going to invite the band to come. Um, And we are going to sing. And as we do that, I want you to contemplate what has been said this morning. We need God's help to do this. But he's willing. He is more willing than we are. And so let's worship him. Let's be willing to respond to what he's saying to us today. Let's be people who are willing to humble ourselves, to not think we're great and we can do everything and we can do it by ourselves. But to say we need him. To be willing to get on our knees and pray for ourselves, for the people in our world, for this city, for this nation. To see his heart and to trust his heart. And always to follow him, to turn towards him, to receive the promises that he has for us.